Hello and welcome to episode two of Dear Gardener. I am Ben Dark, a writer, horticultural journalist and ex-head gardener. But none of that really matters because this podcast is not about me. It is about my dear gardeners, the people who contribute stories of plants and passion from around the world each week. Today we are visiting an architect's garden in Pennsylvania, a tropical balcony down in Yuunde, the capital of Cameroon. And we are in Hampshire, where a new semi-formal garden is gloriously rising from the graded remains of an old chicken farm. Before we hear from the gardeners, and I promise it won't be very long, I'd just like to say a huge thank you to everyone who listened, who gave feedback, and who rated and reviewed the podcast last week. We managed to debut at number one in the Apple podcast charts for the lifestyle category, beating the RHS and BBC Gardener's World magazine and BBC Gardener's Question Time and all the others, as well as all of the Dungeons and Dragons roleplay podcasts, which are apparently stiff competition in that particular category. Triumphant as I sound, I'd still like this podcast to get out to a wider audience. So if you come across any horticulturally curious people this week in real life or online, do give them a little reminder about Dear Gardener. I'm going to come back at the end and talk a little bit more about misty, murky, but ever-beautiful Copenhagen and my little garden outside the window here. Until then, let's hear from our dear gardeners, Karen, Jonathan and Christoph. Times are getting tough and the folks are cutting down. They even decide to do their own gardening. Their own gardening. Take my advice and knock off for a while. The happiness boys are on a rampage. Fred has helped me to start a small Pelagonian nursery, yes. Hello. Hello, Christoph. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, Ben. How are you? Wonderful to talk to you. I mean, I'm talking to Ben Dark. Hey, Ben. Hello. I am in Yaounde, Cameroon, the capital of Cameroon. Not in the middle of the town, but uh, the, the flat is, is in town. So it's not somewhere in... In the nice suburbs, but it's uh, <laughs> really owned it. What do you see? What's your view? My view is the view over a lot of houses and um, yeah, a lot of palm trees and uh, um, bananas and all that. It, it's really interesting because it's uh, it's the city, but the city is really green too. But it's uh, full of fruit trees, like uh, all the mangoes. So I, uh, I'm an architect uh, and spent some time, of course, in, in college studying that and living in cities and studying cities. Of course, uh, you know, architecture, particularly American architecture, has a really strong focus on our sort of taming our giant country, right? So we haven't yet evolved to the point where we're actually celebrating the parts of our country we haven't yet uh, fully dominated. And so we still spent, at least in the 90s, when I was in architecture school, we were still very much focused on that. Perhaps it has improved. I finished school and my wife and I were newly married. 
and living in Philadelphia, right in the heart of the city in a little brownstone, a little rented uh, apartment in a brownstone. And um, we thought, you know, we'll live in the city. We'll raise our children here. They'll go to um, they'll go to the city's library. They'll take ballet lessons from the Philadelphia Ballet Company. You know, we'll have to walk to a park, but there are beautiful parks, and we'll walk to them, and it'll be a lovely a lovely way to live. Good weather here. Got yeah. out in the garden a little bit. Some early morning weeding. Just a lot of field weeds that have come in on manure, I think, and just that blow in. So we'll get a lot of thistles and chickweed, all that sort of thing. Our old garden was an established garden and that was riddled with ground elder. So that was a constant battle. But this time it just like annuals, I would say. We do have the horrible little, just like a tiny little clover in the grass, a yellow kind of flower that turns into black seed. That is a bit of a thug. It's called black medic. That's a good one. It looks it looks very fresh when it's out in yellow. And then as soon as you start getting those seed pods, it makes the whole thing look it's like it's been set on fire. It looks a bit like those um, sea urchins, the crown of thorns, the black things scurrying across the lawn. Well, someone told me here that uh, we are lucky to be in Yaoundé and not in Douala, which is the, the biggest town next to the ocean, because they have such a humid climate that, that it, it makes it hard to breathe, actually. Tell me about the balcony, what's growing out there? At the moment, I'm really happy that, that the lemongrass um, came to life. Uh, an old man who lives in, a, um, in our street, uh, he gave me a lemongrass plant, a really big one, but it, it looked completely dead. And he said, yeah, you know, we had to, to rip it out because we, we're reconstructing our building here. And so the builders got rid of it and, and he said, but you can bring it back to life if you want to. And I said, yeah, well, challenge accepted. <laughs> uh, just give it to me. <laughs> and now after, oh, I think we're here now for, for eight weeks, eight or nine weeks. And, and now it shows uh, signs of life and um, I'm, I'm getting to, to harvest it tomorrow or the day after, I think. That is, of course, not the way most American children grow up. And so um, we took a little detour to Tampa, Florida while my wife was in graduate school. Um, and so at the end of that, we had been, um, we, we were ready to start a family and we decided to come back to the Pennsylvania area where our extended families were because that, that, that made a lot of sense for a number of reasons. And um, we said, you know, I guess at this point we, we need to think about schools. Uh, and that's something that wasn't on our mid twenties context list. And um, we're a little bit tired of living like we're on a ship. And uh, Philadelphia enjoys some really wonderful inner ring towns that are today outside of the city. But, you know, they were the, fa- they were the colonial farms. Now the, the metropolitan suburban sprawl has long swallowed them. And they were swallowed in the early part of the 20th century. And so what's nice about them is that they're older houses. They're close together. They're in neighborhoods. They don't have that kind of sprawl that probably is what most of the rest of the world thinks of, of the way we do, do suburban housing in the States. So we bought a house there on a little, on a little tract of land. It was described in the real estate listing by square feet, not by parts of an acre, which again is not a U.S. standard. To about a fifth of an acre is my, is my translation, um, which again, in many parts of the world would be gracious. My father couldn't understand why we bought a small house on a small piece of property so close to our neighbors. He thought the whole idea was ludicrous. And it was great because at that point I was almost 30. No, I was 30. I was more than 30. Uh, and I'd never mowed a lawn. We do the same.
It's pretty much flat, but it was a chicken farm. So where they used to have, you know, the chickens would be in long barns, they must have graded the land. So I've got banks, um, not super high, only like two metres high. We are on kind of a clay brash with a lot of flint. Every time you try to dig a hole, you get a jar in the elbow where you strike a flint. Uh, but it is unusual for around here. It's all flinty, but a lot of it is chalk. The house is a new build house and pretty much the builders, the landscapers were kind of as fast as you can cover up all the <laughs> mess underneath. So uh, they just imported topsoil and spread it out. So I guess we're getting what was in that imported topsoil. I think there's like two batches because they were moaning about well, the first batch was like a, a screened topsoil. So basically, I think they just put it through a big sieve and shake it through and it it's like silty and it all forms a rock hard sort of mat and then they got a different type which is a bit better so we're battling with improving it and trying to get the ground covered up that's a nice way of describing what gardening is <laughs> in essence but there are some finessing bits as well <laughs> i'm an architect i like i like things to look nice and so i thought well yeah, uh, it needs some things. And so I, I went to the garden center and said, oh, I like that. Didn't even look at the plant tags. You know, I just thought, well, it's a plant. It needs sunlight and water and I can put it wherever I want. I put a, I put a lovely uh, buddleia basically behind a mature rhododendron. Shockingly, it did not thrive. And I went on and did that for a year or two, just sort of wanting the house to look better, not, and sort of being annoyed that um, this was not just sort of falling into place. I was at the garden center buying things in bloom and realizing that they only bloom for three weeks or four weeks, right, at the most. And I didn't really understand that perennials don't bloom all summer. Um, I, I thought that was their magic, right? They come back every year, they bloom all summer. You never have to deadhead them or cut them back. Don't they just take care of themselves? Um, and of course they don't. I had a really fun year where I kind of, uh, I guess the algorithms that be in the world started to discover that I was using gardening words. They were listening. And so I suddenly became on the mailing list for perennial mail order nurseries. Uh, and so I, I'd made a couple of orders and I tried some things and, and I kind of got bit. There's a wet season that lasts for a really long time, actually. I don't want to lie, but I think it starts somewhere in early March or February and lasts until October. It, it has two peaks, so, so in Yonde. So it feels like, I mean, I've been told, it feels like you're having two wet seasons. But in fact, um, during summertime, it rains as, as well, but, but not that much as in, in, in March and in October. We, we're in for heavy rain probably in the next few days. Uh, in, in September, it should start. In September, October is uh, uh, one of the peak rainy seasons. The city is, is built on, on hills and we're a little bit up on a hill uh, on the second floor. And so it's really nice to, to, to watch it from here. Um, in the Western provinces, they have uh, coffee and tea plantations. The, the part with the tea and the coffee plantations is the part of Cameroon that had, has been or had been colonized by the British. Because it's a part of Cameroon used to be British and part, and the bigger part used to be uh, French. But but. The, the, the tea plantations are only in in the Anglophone. Have you visited the, the tea and coffee plantations yet? Mm, yeah, I, I would love to, but but actually that's a part of the country that that, that is uh, has its uh, troubles. There is a, 
they they don't talk of civil war, but but actually, there is a civil war going on in the Western provinces. So but we we shouldn't go there. But it's but, but it's really mean because everyone tells us here, oh how lovely it is there, and it's it's so cool and fresh, and uh, and then the plantations and everything. And we are like, yeah, stop it. <laughs> we had two spells here of heat that got sort of well for us it was quite hot sort of 36 37 about four days in two spells so a few things cooked then but they're all coming back now we did have a hose pipe van here but we're lucky because it was a farm here so we do have a borehole otherwise I think I would have lost all of the trees and everything gardening was this interesting hobby opportunity right it had all these pieces it had it had history and masters it had modern gardeners with opinions it had plenty of knowledge to acquire much of which i have yet to acquire um and so it became sort of this uh, and i could do it outside i could do it sort of not with the kids um because as you're probably discovering small children are not efficient gardening assistants no they're very good at collecting blooms particularly if it's the first bloom of something that's never flowered before they're very good at bringing it to you and saying look what I've got look what I found our son loves to bring um basically weed seeds from parks and other people's houses to our garden um he'll collect things that are just you know beautiful seed pods of weeds that are just about to um explode and disperse that's probably an unstudied evolutionary driver isn't it how attractive seed pods are to toddlers I remember my, my daughters would always try and make potions when they were small so I had to I say, you can take the flowers so long as there's more than one. <laughs> um, my older daughter and I, we did a, Wisley's not too far from here. So we did a trip a week or two ago and they had, I'm not quite sure what they are, but they are just, I used to call them straw flowers. So they're like a papery flower. They're different sort of oranges and terracottas and the sort of thing that grannies used to have, but they seem to be coming back now. And um she was bowled over by those. She's I've seen these all over Instagram. So, <laughs> so I think I might try those next year. I think for me, it is, I, you know, I've, I've read a couple of books and people, gardeners, experienced gardeners seem to talk about this evolution that, that gardeners go through, you know, starting sort of with this pursuit of the flower and then moving on to pursuit of the structure and then the leaf. And then, you know, eventually you just become uh, a hobbled old person who only wants to grow very bizarre and unknown things in the canopy of dense shade in woodlands, I think is sort of the pinnacle of evolution. This is a challenge for me because I, you know, I, I as an architect and an architect trained in the late nineties when, you know, the international style, uh, you know, we were all still studying Mies van der Rohe and um, Le Corbusier and sort of, you know, um, this sort of very pure geometry set into the landscape, but not really engaging with the landscape. Uh, and I, I think you've either either in your book or in one of your podcasts talked about this idea that that to garden is to make an intervention, right? It's not natural. It's now been gardened. Um, and I do, I, you know, my, my wife and I, and now more my wife, um, like a classic suburban American garden, you know, which includes a lot of mulch and a clear definition of mulch around each of the plants um, so that you can see where one begins and one ends. And I have I have definitely sort of moved beyond that. I, I have a real interest in how they knit together and uh, and how they look, but definitely kind of a classic 
English arts and crafts garden approach to it, I think, right? I, I like a lot of blooms. I'm interested in color moving around. I've just sort of started to understand that I probably don't want a cottage garden and I need to do better, need to be better about repeating and a structure that knits it together. And I'm uh, actually this year pulled a few things out and replaced them with other things I already had in other parts of the garden. Um, but I have no interest in sort of the Beth Chateau uh, zero intervention model. And, and this year, we had an incredibly dry summer, um, probably, I mean, certainly the driest in the four years that I've been caring about rainfall with any intensity. And uh, I don't think I cut my grass in the months of July or August because it just didn't grow at all from lack of rain. And I did say to my wife, if this is going to become our new normal as a result of climate change, we're going to have to install irrigation because I'm not interested in just having, you know, a bunch of euphorbias and Russian sage. Yeah, so it's it's lemongrass, uh, mint, um, uh, and uh, nasturtiums, I think you call them. Um, but I brought these seeds from from Switzerland because you're allowed to to bring in seeds from from abroad to Cameroon. I thought, hmm, what could I grow? And, and I really like to, to make pesto out of uh, nasturtium. So I thought, oh, come on, let's uh, let's try this. I, I have to say they they don't grow as much as I thought they would in a in a tropical climate. They, they're a little bit. Um, how do you, do you say it in English? They, they, they're hesitating, I think. Well, I'm sure once they get going, given the nature of them, you'll, you'll have to leave the I country so. in great embarrassment as you can finally <laughs> colonize the city. You won't see yeah. palm trees anymore. You'll just see little flashes of nasturtium flowers coming out of their, mm, their yeah, canopy. But just don't tell anybody. We'll disguise your voice for this little part of the conversation. Thanks so much. So I've got a little kind of courtyard there, um, which is I planted it so that it's flowering when we're sitting out, obviously peak summer. So it's got salvias, gaura. I have found that I've gone a bit heavy on the gaura. <laughs> I wasn't going to use box, but I ended up bringing a load of box from the old garden. So that's there uh, as a little low hedge around that area. Moving around in one direction, I would move to a vegetable patch, which is laid out on a grid of about nine, I would say, small rectangular beds with a small greenhouse, uh, powder-coated aluminium greenhouse. I have stolen some ideas from magazines and done the uh, oak posts with caught and steel supports for, to train fruit up. Um, so uh, although the deer seems to be getting the upper hand on that fruit. <laughs> particularly a back garden, maybe even more than a front garden, belongs to everyone who lives in the house. It does not belong only to the gardener. Um, when you walk out of, our, out of our back door, you're on a deck and you are looking at a very narrow slice of land of what's left between the garage and the fence before you get behind the garage. We are at the bottom of a bit of a hill in the neighborhood. And so we get a lot of water collection that uh, isn't well managed. And so the grass can be a little soggy. So we decided to do a wonderful paver patio. Um, and so we have the only bit of mystery in our garden occurs here because we have a miscanthus that the prior owner left us, which is far too large because it was there. And because I didn't, when we bought the house and we started making interventions, it didn't occur to me that I could do whatever I wanted, right? I'm an architect, I'm not a landscaper. And so um, I was putting in my hardscaping and designing my walls and my curbs. 
And I was initially thinking, well, there's someone has already put a border here. So we'll go around it because I don't know, there's already a border here. Other than that grasp, Ben, there's nothing left in that border. But for some reason, I felt like, well, you know, there's a St. John's wart here and some unknown geranium. And I don't know, maybe I'm supposed to have a border here. I don't know. And there you would see a, a little tiny strip of grass that I have for several years mowed diligently and tried to keep growing. Um, I have just this summer planted an amelanchier in it. And I have visions of uh, calling it the long border, of course, in the future. And um, I plan to eradicate the grass in that area over the next few years. Who, who doesn't need to have a their own long border? Gardening has always been a thing for me. Um, the, the, we always had a garden when I was a child back home. So, so gardening is nothing new to me, but, but the gardening in, in the tropics is, is really different. It's amazing how fast some things grow. For example, I'm, in the beginning, when we arrived here, I, I didn't know what to grow. I, I only knew that I wanted to grow something. So I took the, uh, the pineapple heads and, and I thought, well, let's just give it a try because it never worked for me back home because yeah. I mean, you can see a lot of tutorials on, uh, on YouTube and whatever. They're all in Miami or somewhere. Yeah, and probably. <laughs> and uh, here, I mean, it's, it, it takes days until you really? see the first roots. Yeah. And sometimes you even see the roots when you, when you take away the, the lower leaves. Yeah. Um, then, then you can, can see some small roots. That, that works really well i mean we we will never be able to harvest them but it's yeah. just nice to to send back home pictures of our own pineapple plants i've had to basically get rid of any rose. i don't i'm not a huge rose fan i do like them but i could live without them so i've just got a couple that are sort of strapped against the house in the hope that the deer won't notice and uh i just any bit that sticks out i quickly tie it in so the deer can't hopefully find it he hasn't found it yet but um we will see so um yeah apple trees roses raspberries so i think those all things in the rosacea family we have a hawthorn hedge which was out of control and a bit scraggy looking so i did get it laid and it's growing back nicely but the, uh, the browse line, the, the deer just <laughs> uh, sort of munches anything up to a certain height. It would be fine if your hedge was established and it saves you having to trim it, but while you're trying to get it going, it's it's a bit frustrating. <laughs> Are all the trees around you hung with life? Yeah, and here it's uh, it's mostly ferns, different kinds of ferns. The, the, the staghorn fern, I mean, they, they just look fantastic uh, on a palm tree, for example. I mean, the, 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 the old oil palms, they yeah. are the ones that are um, fullest of life here. I think it's, it's because there are so many nooks and crannies. I'm always amazed when you see those ferns when they're not in a, a florist's shop and they grow big enough to squash a man. You think if that fell off a yeah. tree, that would kill you. <laughs> No, no, that's that's really amazing and i i love that i, I even tried to um, to get a, a piece of fern and transfer it to um, to our pillar we have one pillar uh, supporting yeah. pillar on the, on the balcony uh, but it didn't work 
<laughs> to my defense, I have to say it was on the ground already. There okay. was a piece of bark, so it didn't <laughs> it didn't take it right out of the of the tree. And then someone had um, had uh, had taken it away. Uh, even the the fern had taken it away from the the palm tree, okay. and it was uh, lying on the ground on the roadside. So I took it with me, and uh, I took uh, a bit of uh, not string. It's um, um, more like a rope um, and I, I, I took this and I put it with that and on the on the pillar but it just didn't work I mean it, it still looks alive but when you <laughs> when you touch it, it the leaves fall off I couldn't bring myself to, to, to put it away now <laughs> to discard it I remember seeing the prairie style for the first time you know thinking wow that, that's that's possibly like when I first started getting Gogs Illustrated and the magazines plopping on the doormat. And that was probably when that was sort of kicking off. I thought that's really good. And so, and so I've stuck with that, but largely because it's quite low maintenance, the informal planting, but on a formal layout. I've never really been a themed garden like Japanese or even though I like visiting them it's not some I think well I don't think it would work in a kind of rural Hampshire <laughs> when all around us is arable fields and horses and trees I think I guess my style would be kind of loosely prairie low maintenance um in a formal layout not very good with curves <laughs> <laughs> I don't have plans. It's just I, I, I make it up as, as I go along. <laughs> and I want to grow more basil <laughs> because that was a disaster. Actually, you can you can buy basil here at the market in huge quantities. Uh, they they like to grow it, mm. um, but it didn't um, it didn't produce roots in the water. Let's face it, I forgot to to change the water. I thought, well, I'll check on it like a week after or something. It was and then, just black and moldy and slimy. And <laughs> I listened to an interview with Monty Don. In, in the UK, you're all so polite and so kind. And I listen to these UK podcasts and I'm just so blown away by how, uh, just how kind everybody is to each other. It seems like a wonderful way to live. Um, so it was the most biting I'd ever really heard him be in an interview. Um, and he was, you know, effectively saying that we have yet as a country in the US to really sort of awaken to gardening and to what we could do. And that we have a couple of spotty gardens that are quite nice, but in general, we're not anywhere near where we could be. Um, and we're not a nation of gardeners. On my street, I'm probably the only person who really gardens seriously. I'm part of a really wonderful community of gardeners locally that have used social media to find themselves uh, in our town, um, which is really fantastic. But I get a chance to see a lot of wonderful specimens, but not a ton of gardens that feel like someone has a, a current ongoing plan. Um, I'm certainly, I think, the only one. I have a reputation on the block. You can always find me in the front yard, crouched in some very awkward pose, trying desperately to deadhead something without compacting the soil. What 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 um the difference is in our towns is that the houses are so close together that you really can pass a hundred gardens in a very, very short walk. And out of a hundred people you're going to find five or ten 
something worth looking at. Yeah, I think that density comment is really interesting because I do enjoy in our classic town, I do enjoy how many front gardens I can walk past on a on a reasonable walk out with the kids or a short bike ride, which for me is often more of a walk. I enjoy that uh, getting a chance to see so many different plants. I'm often also lurking just at the edge, trying desperately with my phone to zoom in as much as possible because there's some wonderful thing in bloom in a wonderful color in a time when I don't have anything that color blooming. And I'm thinking, oh, what is that? I don't know what that is. Tell me about the, the gardens of Yuande. Is there a tradition of horticulture? There is a tradition of horticulture, but it's, it's really food growing. Uh, what I can see and when I talk to people and when I say, oh, that's a lovely plant, uh, what is it? Then the, the, the reply is always, oh, ce n'est pas comestible. It's not edible. <laughs> and then I go like, yeah, but it, it looks lovely. Oh. <laughs> I have a cutting or something. <laughs> so th that's the, the main reason for growing plants here. They're worried that you're going to eat it when you say that's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want the shame of, of having a white man dying in front of the porch. And then so continuing around the garden, I've got um, nine malus everest or everest planted on a grid in trying to keep that lawn kind of like a proper nice lawn because so it sort of sets off that effect quite nicely and then a main lawn across the back of the house which is just lawn and again jury's out as well whether i can divide it up but we'll report back on that <laughs> the dream for the area we have a bay window on the back which i have put a curve of bleached hornbeams on the same sort of curve radius is to line that bay window uh, with a path which would split the main lawn in half and then have say I don't know some something of height I don't know about more bleached hornbeams uh, so going off at right angles to the house and with the borders at either side so I've divided the main lawn into two smaller lawns yes otherwise it's just a lawn but I don't know there's there's a bit of territorial thing going on with the lawn. <laughs> Tell me, Christoph, what's waiting for you when you leave? What's your garden like back home in Europe? Uh, oh, where do I start? It's a garden full of Mediterranean plants, I think. Some of them were collected around the world when it was still okay to bring them into Switzerland because now we have... Really, yeah, I have to mention this. I mean, you never know when the, when the customs knocks on your door. When <laughs> I have a, a love for, for Mediterranean plants. And uh, you mentioned South African plants. Uh, I like to experiment with, with them in the sense of how hardy they are. And uh, north of the Alps, I think we, we are one of the warmest uh, regions. Uh, and so, I mean, you, you get away with murder. Uh, I mean, for, for Switzerland, it's, uh, and I mean, don't laugh, but for Switzerland, uh, to ha having two big fatsias in the uh, outside in the garden is a, a, a big thing. Then they never managed to flower properly because the, the frost <laughs> is a little bit too early for that. My first dabble with the wildflower meadow was putting, letting the grass grow and putting in a few plugs. Otherwise, it looked a bit like we were living in a football pitch. Another bit I tried to get um, 
the spore narcissus wp milner going it's it's very pretty one it's a bit like pseudo narcissus i bought 500 i put them in and it looks like i put 10 in <laughs> so i'm gonna each year i'll keep adding to it i don't know if they spread by seed or if they bulk up but fingers crossed <laughs> i wasn't a super daffodil fan but uh, it is good that they come back every year and they do bulk up so i've it's just sort of trying to be a bit more conscious about keep buying things. I have cut back on tulips and trying to invest more in the daffodils. I'm going to be trying to add them, but it, the chances are you end up digging up the ones you planted last year, which is there's nothing more sad than the sound of a trowel going through a lovely crunchy bulb. <laughs> When we do uh, bulbs in the border, I cut the bamboo cane up into short sections. That's been quite helpful for like alliums. I know there's something underneath there, so I won't go in brainless charging in. Doesn't really work in the grass, does it? <laughs> I planted these cannolis and oh my gosh, you could grow tropical plants. They, they were huge. They covered the fence entirely. They bloomed red all summer. So I'm really looking forward to, to my cannas uh, because I, I got some, I collected some canna seeds from wild cannas that, that grow here. I mean, they, they're actually quite invasive here, but they're beautiful nonetheless. <laughs> I collected some seeds and, uh, and just threw it on in my, my buckets and, and plastic tops that I have here on the balcony. And now everywhere they're, they're popping up. It's, it's the first time that I ever tried this. You unfortunately won't get any hummingbirds, which is what really sets them off, I think. No, but, but sunbirds. So yeah. the, the, that's that's another <laughs> goal, if you want. <laughs> um, I, I want to attract some, some wildlife on the balcony. It's not a challenge from the point of view that there is a lot of wildlife in the city. There, there's a lot of birds around, and then birds and butterflies. Um, but I, I want to attract them to the balcony, so that's why I, I planted a, a red ginger and uh, some um oh well, what's the name of it i think you pronounce it convolvulus and uh, I, I bought one um, uh, that that is an upright and i even buried two little um <laughs> sweet potato tubers because i i wanted to have some lush growth they're in there from almost day one no sign of life you haven't been tempted to to start poking around in the soil seeing what they're doing I have been tempted, but I have been a good boy. I think the balconies, I think what you need as well is something really big so that you can look through it, particularly when the rain's coming down. Um, and, and there I made, made the mistake with, uh, with the aeroids, um, the climbing aeroids. Uh, behind our office where we're working, there is a really a beautiful kind of philodendron um, covering the, the wall. And um, so I took a, a piece of it and brought mm -hmm. it back home. And it, I mean, it's, it's alive and <laughs> it looks great, but it, it, it produced over all these weeks, like one leaf. <laughs> and I, I really planted it in a, in a tub next to the pillar. And I, in, in my imagination, it was already full of lush, <laughs> tropical philodendron foliage. <laughs> and I, probably one year isn't enough for that. <laughs> I don't know. If you produce a leaf already, it's got the capacity. It's probably got its roots out now. I think it'll be shooting up. This is what I'll ask you next time.
I'll begin with the question. Okay. We won't do any small talk. We'll go straight in. Tell me about the philodendron. <laughs> <laughs> okay. When you come to the end of the patio, this is, of course, where you step off now into the backyard proper, because we in the States only call our gardens the, the flower bed. The grass is the yard. And when we bought the house, it was a mess of weeds, and I worked to get it into real grass, you know, doing all the things that are not particularly sustainable from an environmental standpoint to get to have grass in our climate. Um, and I had a very nice lawn. It has a place that, in it that we inherited. Our kids are very happy about that. I certainly am too snobby um, a landscape dad to have bought them a play set, but it came with one. And so um, they enjoy it. It is made of cedar, which helps. And I have planted a couple of trees, a magnolia and an oak, and just recently a river birch and another amelanchier back in the corner, but all on the perimeter so that I preserve the center. Um, and my son has taken a real interest in baseball and likes to play baseball in the backyard and likes to play baseball in all sorts of wonderful imaginative game scenarios where the go-ahead run must slide in all bases in order to make it to home plate. Um, and so I have much less grass in the backyard now than I had because I, I found myself one spring afternoon yelling at him to get off the grass because it had rained the day before and he was turfing it. And I, I had to stop and say to myself, what am I growing here? Am I growing kids or am I growing grass? And I like it's going to be a flash in the pan before they're too old to be interested in running around the backyard. And I'll have many decades that I can futz with the turf. Is there someone is there someone looking after the plants at home? Uh, my in-laws, they okay. live right next to us. And so they're looking after it. And luckily, my mother-in-law, she's the daughter of, um, of a gardener. So because she, she comes from a gardening dynasty, actually. <laughs> and uh, so they're really into gardening, too. So that helps. But, but I told them they only have to, to do what, they, what, what they're capable of. They just, they just uh, do bits and pieces. You arrived in Cameroon with mint and with pesto making nasturtiums. So I imagine you are growing food and fruits and, and plants for the table back home. Yeah, um, th th there is um, uh, a big uh, grape growing on our southern wall and um, a big fig tree. It's a young fig tree, but, but now this year it really got going. Yeah. And it had a lot of, of green figs on it when we left. Some weeks after, we got the pictures from my in-laws and they said, oh, they were so delicious. Along one of the banks, which we inherited from the layout of the chicken farm, I'm going to strip off the turf. It's probably like two and a half meters wide on a slope by about 25, 30 meters and make that into a long border. And that, that should encourage me in, or encourage members of the family to embrace the dividing up of the lawn. Otherwise it would look a bit unbalanced. So I'm hoping that this might make other people think, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> so I might have to give it a less official name, a herbaceous border. <laughs> I'm not so good at mixing in like a great Dixer where they mix everything together. I find that a bit of a challenge for me because I quite like the just leaving it all and doing a spring cutback. That works quite well in a, if you haven't got unlimited sort of help. 
probably just be more of uh, dividing up more of the plants that I have, just to sort of limit the number of plastic pots that come in. And then I try and try a few new things to try and work out a way of bulking them up and then spreading them around the garden. So it'll be start off with trusted friends and then invite some newcomers to the mix later on. <laughs> I don't really feel I need to have one of everything, but I quite I quite like the challenge of finding the best one for, for our situation <laughs> and then just staying there with that one. <laughs> I lose patience. So if something is obviously struggling, I don't have the energy to sort of nurture it along. Not running a hospital for six months. Exactly. <laughs> they call it fever grass here. So um, I don't know if, if it really has some um, capacities in, in, in like bringing the fever down, but, but they believe it. And so that's why they, uh, they grow it a lot. And I mean, with the, the water that smells of uh, chlorine here, I mean, you need something to... <laughs> <laughs> to smooth it <laughs> so uh, lemongrass is really everywhere um, and then um, you have the fruit trees they really love I mean we Europeans we know mangoes and bananas and all that stuff but they they grow they they call it plum trees but, mm -hmm. but it's the African plum it's uh, it looks like a small aubergine that's the same color as an aubergine and it's <laughs> <laughs> it really looks like that. So at first I thought, oh, they're, uh, they're, they're grilling aubergines everywhere in the city. Actually, they're, they're doing this to their plums. They're really, really sour and warm <laughs> <laughs> and have a huge um, pit inside. When you are in, invited somewhere, then uh, you, you, you get to, to eat them. It's, it's like peanuts and, and these safu, they're, they're called, Af African plum. You get used to the, the taste. I don't want to bash it too much here, but it's, I mean, when you when you think of a nice plum. It's plum season here. It's plum and wasp yep. season. You're, you're <laughs> I think out. that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> if the dahlias work, then I will invest in some better pot-sized dahlia cages that I'll have to fabricate and create. What are they going to be in galvanized steel? Are they going to be caught in? Are they going to be what? They, of course, will come galvanized because I can get them that way. I don't think that's the right color. Um, the question is, do I want them to be black or do I want them to look um, caught in? And so am I going to spray paint them black or spray paint them copper will be the question for this year. Um, and this is a funny thing because I did come of age in architecture school really at the height of the caught in steel movement. Um, all the famous modern architects were building great things out of Corten steel. And I, of course, was going to have a Corten steel house. Um, but now I can't quite see it in my, in my garden. Um, and so I tend to use more stone. And so I'm not sure. I think it's, it's an interesting dichotomy. Here I thought I would be reaching for all of this rusty metal, which is probably not super appropriate with uh, little kids running around. <laughs> I'll edit it so that we both come across incredibly well it's wise very very wise, wise. and sophisticated very considered <laughs> exactly and until then good luck with all the projects brilliant bye, bye 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 i'm going to i'm going to let you get on jonathan just because i know that you've probably got a full day of work ahead of you you yeah, probably... unfortunately you've probably been hearing these emails ding and i don't know how to silence that note. oh don't don't worry about it
Yeah, such a pleasure to talk to you and enjoy the rest of your day. My, mine is coming to a close now. I've got to start thinking about trips to the nursery to get to get my son back just while you're gearing up for your first meetings. So. I've just handed mine off. <laughs> oh, good. Right. OK. <laughs> Christoph, thank you so much for, for talking to me. It's been a real pleasure. The, the pleasure was on my side, too. Thank you so much. Okay. Right. Bye, Ben. Bye-bye. <laughs> Have a nice day. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for listening to today's episode of Dear Gardener. And thank you to our three gardeners for contributing and contributing so eloquently. Those conversations were recorded at the very end of September 2022. And now we push ever closer to the end of October. It is a leaden skied day here in Copenhagen. I was out running this morning along the sea and the great big incinerator over the water seemed to be connected to the clouds by a column of, of ominous looking smoke as if it had filled the whole skies with its with its steam and heat i am in a period of mourning for my garden we're going to have to replace one of the fences it has been decided finally that the lean the the slow topple into our neighbor's garden has gone too far and the thing is going to have to be taken out and stood upright which means losing the the culprit the vast vast stack of ivy that has grown all the way up the fence and left its adolescent form its tenderly climbing aerial root form behind to become arborescent to become mature flowering fruiting ivy and it's been glorious this autumn. It's been producing that fantastically evocative and sometimes off-putting ivy scent and drawing to it the most incredible amount of bees and wasps and hoverflies, including those glorious hornet mimic hoverflies, which I don't know if anyone's ever seen, but they look otherworldly. They look as if the insect kingdom had plotted to put together some sort of interstellar spaceship really wonderful wonderful things but that's all going to go along with the fence i've earmarked quite a nice little ivy that's growing at the end of the garden with a subtle variegation that brings a bit of light to to a backdrop so i think i'm going to try and strike some cuttings from that over the next few weeks it's not really the time for taking ivy cuttings but the thing is so ready to grow particularly in that juvenile stage that i don't think it will be too much of a problem Anyway, that's life in my garden. Outside the garden, I have been down in Tivoli. Tivoli Gardens is, I think, the horticultural heart of Copenhagen. A lot of people might make a case for the Baroque or English landscape gardens of the royal palaces, but it is at Tivoli where the Copenhagen resident comes closest, comes most face-to-face with horticulture in its ever-changing, ever-shifting displays of seasonal bedding. And at the moment, they are in full vegetable mode. Every single flower bed has been dumped with squashes and pumpkins. The centerpiece garden outside the main hotel is hosting some absurdly proportioned giant pumpkins from the Danish National Pumpkin Growing Competition. Horrendous things, all <laughs> collapsed and distorted by their own weight. They look a bit like elephant seals particularly when you leave a bit of stem on the end, like the elephant seal's scarred and battered nose. 
One of them is 850 kilograms plus, which is just astonishing. I got some pictures which I'll put on my Instagram of the, the horrified and fascinated crowds looking at these things. I was really impressed with the quality of display. It isn't just pumpkins. There's also a fantastic use of nasturtiums. Nasturtiums in a second flush of growth, obviously cut back and set going again a month or so ago. So they're in fresh, glorious green leaf and new, beautiful flower. And these grow and scurry over mounds of pumpkins all about the place. And mounds of onions as well. One of the most effective things that I saw was a flower bed covered in those glorious red-skinned onions, which have almost a beetle shine, an almost UV iridescence to their skin. And these formed a ground cover of sort, with nasturtiums flowing over them and flowering in pumpkin complementing orange and red. It looked a bit like when you see those glorious tropical displays of Tradescantia with that strange, dark, purple, shimmery, starling's wing kind of texture to the leaf and then some hideously, hideously garish begonia growing over the top. A real convergence of the florist, horticulturalist and greengrocer's arts. So if you are planning sightseeing for next year, in advance. I really do recommend Tivoli in its October finery. Anyway, enough of that. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the programme, you could consider going to the show notes below. There's a little link there where you can go to my Ko-Fi page. There's also links to some of the plants and places discussed by the Dear Gardeners today. And do get in touch at thegardenlogpodcast.gmail.com if you would like to talk to me for one of these future episodes. I've been looking at the stats and I know that there are people listening in India. I'd like to talk to you if you're one of those people. Anyway, thank you very much and I'll see you back here next week when we will hear from three more Dear Gardeners. I hope do the sunlight, I hope do the sunlight. Times are getting tough and the folks are cutting down. They even decide to do their own gardening. Their own gardening. Take my advice and knock off for a while. The happiness boys are on a rampage. Fred has helped me to start a small Pelagonian nursery, yes.